Okay, let me, folks, break this down for you. What the most important takeaway from Michigan results are, of course, the primary yesterday taking place both for Republicans, a hybrid deal because they kind of had to split it up. There's going to be a separate showing two days later. And then Democrats, of course, all voted. Uh, Sam Rajovsky here, by the way, behind the What's Right Show microphone. Happy Wednesday, February 28th. Uh, it is not the last day of February. We got one more day, 29th will be tomorrow. This happens only once every uh, every few years, so um, four years. So here we are. Um, a strange month, an extra day, if you will. Now, uh, look at the vote totals. That's my, you know, nowhere in the media are they talking about what happened in Michigan, there was a well, Biden got 81% of the vote. Trump won, but boy, he's got a problem in the party. Trump won. 20, Nikki Haley got 26%. You know, 26% of Republicans, 29 if you throw in the uncommitteds. Almost a third of the party doesn't want Donald Trump. Donald Trump, of course, winning six, uh, what is it, 68%. But here's the real number I want you to focus on. You know, Biden yesterday got, and they're still counting votes, 95% or so of the votes in. Biden got 620,000 plus votes. 620. You know what Trump got? I'm just talking in the number of people that cast a ballot. Because, the, well, yeah, so Trump, Biden gets 623,000 and they're still counting votes. It might go up a few. And, um, but 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 Trump got seven hundred fifty eight thousand, and also may still go up seven hundred fifty eight thousand. Now, yes, the uncommitted. I told you this yesterday. There was a big movement to vote uncommitted on the ballot on the Democratic side. Remember, only three percent or so Republicans voted uncommitted. Neither Nikki Haley nor Donald Trump. Uh, the Democrats signed, uh, let's see, 3% for Marianne Williamson, 2.7% uh, for Dean Phillips, 13.2%, 101,000 votes uncommitted. Now, I know a lot of smart people look at that and say, well, Sam, you know, those uncommitted Biden voters are not going to, in November, vote for Donald Trump, right? That's not going to happen. And uh, that's right. But here is, here's the other issue. In Michigan, and I understand this is the primary, folks. I get it. But remember, on the on the Republican side, there's a little bit of the same kind of thing going on that we had here in Nevada, where there's a primary and then two days later, a caucus. So this is just the primary where fewer of delegates are being assigned, right, or up for grabs. I think a total of 16 were up for grabs. Uh, Trump got 14 and Nikki Haley we've got two or it's 12 and let me let me look this up so I don't mislead you yeah, yeah yeah Donald Trump got 12 yes and Nikki Haley got four there it is so there's a little bit of that going do you know how many Republicans voted forget Nikki Haley Donald Trump forget undecided or un uncommitted versus Joe Biden I'm talking Republicans going out to vote 
Democrats going out to vote. (sighs) The numbers are total Dems, 767,000 and change. On the Republican side, 1.1 million you, you understand what a crushing turnout this is in a primary that isn't even the primary that really decides who gets the bulk of Michigan delegates? <sighs> Republicans are engaged. And what it tells me, one of my takeaways from this is that, yeah, sure, some people really cared enough and hated Biden enough on the Democratic side to go out and say, I'm going to put my uncommitted vote down on paper. But a whole bunch of people are like, for that geezer, I'm not getting out of bed. And they just didn't show up. It'll be very interesting to model voter activity in the general and see how it lines up with what occurred in the primary. Um. Because I, you know, the, the, this this ought to be this data ought to be front page news, and it's not. I mean, you, I'm just curious, right? If I'm going to let's say the Drudge Report, you know, what's what's the headline? I mean, they've already passed. They don't talk about any of this. A lot of nasty stuff about Trump. Oh, and McConnell, of course, is stepping down. Which, I mean, he's clearly unwell and incapable of performing in in his position so he he's stepping down it's not an unexpected story being heralded as the last what is it here bulwark against maga the last guy standing up to trump and his craziness so uh, the real story is that trump brought simply more votes yesterday in michigan than his opponent joe biden And any discussions here about Nikki Haley are irrelevant. It's not about Nikki Haley. And the Nikki Haley voters come November may stay home or may not, may, you know, half of them may vote for Trump holding their noses. I mean, there are a lot of people that are going to vote for Trump holding their noses. That's, there's no doubt about that. But I think with everything going on and the world essentially on fire, certainly it's depressing the Democratic vote. Democrats are not excited in the cycle whatsoever. Uh, They're a walking, somewhat talking, mumbling corpse of a candidate. The incumbent president, Joe Biden, is uninspiring, to say the least. And um, and again, Michigan is a is a state that, uh, you know, could be one of a few that decide the election. So we're not talking here about California. We're not talking about, you know, Utah or Wyoming is my point. We're talking about a state that, you know, that certainly could be one of a handful that 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 decides the race come November. Now, big caution here, the big asterisk to all of this is the RFK Jr. factor. I don't ever want to forget that because it's it's a component. Can't be ignored. It's there. And, you know, obviously he's not in the lineup. And I think it's conceivable that there will be a number of Democrats and a number of registered Republicans that go out and vote for him. And I think the numbers there, I, I can't necessarily yet predict fully how that's going to pan out. It'll really depend how he fleshes out as a candidate in some of his positions. 
I'm convinced that the more we hear from him, the more he's going to be off-putting to, you know, anybody who's right of center. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's a he's an old-school Democrat kind of guy, you know, and and so he'll be appealing to the, I, I, you know, I, I thought historically, you know, kind of those, those disenfranchised, disaffected old-school Democrats, true liberals. But certainly the, the data last polling I saw on this showed that he's peeling away votes from Trump, and that's a concern. Okay, so just putting that out there, don't forget RFK Jr. Just because we don't hear from him, he's plodding along and, and, um, and looking to, I believe, at the very least, be a bit of a scuttlebutt. So this is, you know, listen, there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. But the headline here, the headline in here is that Republicans, Trump, okay, uh, you know, Nikki Haley, the uncommitteds, that's only 3%, but just throwing it in there, over a million votes last night. And uh, Dems uh, clocking in at, what's the number here? 767,000. And like I said today, it's, look, it's 115 in the afternoon. So, you know, it's, we, these numbers will still adjust upward likely by a bit, but 95%, more than 95% of the vote is in now. So these are, you know, fairly solid numbers that I think we can take to the bank. Absolutely, absolutely shocking. And, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a Scott Adams uh, tweet yesterday caught my eye about Trump's third act. And he, he, Scott Adams, you know, he's the Dilbert creator, and he said that his third act is shaping up nicely. And he takes, I, I got to take a break here, but he, he, Scott goes through the, the steps, all the things that, the layers of things that people, how people feel differently now about things than they did a mere four years ago. And it's one of the things that has come to me, I, I, and I've realized this, and I've said this a number of times here on this show, is that as people, that, that Trump's success will entirely hinge on the perception that people have of what actually happened around 2020. That people's perception of COVID, for example, is going to matter. That people's perception of January 6th is going to matter. That people's uh, trust in the media is going to matter. And I certainly stand here today, looking back, you know, we're 2024, looking back at uh, March, you know, just around the corner here, March 2020 is when the world shut down over COVID and every anti-Trump operative was excited for the opportunity of what that crisis would bring and how it would shake up the election and i think um you know i think you know a lot of us here were were yelling what felt like yelling into an empty you know <laughs> out in the empty air and trying to bring reason back to the conversation and 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 in the intervening um ensuing years we've had certainly some sobering up as a country i think all of that factors into this combined of course with the absolute abject failure that this administration has been. Sam Burjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome back to the program. Always happy to have you here. Hang tight, folks. We'll be right back after this. 
If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Hi, Sam Rajovsky here, host of the What's Right Show and Nevada's favorite recovering ex-Californian. Glad to be here with you folks. Sam at samandashlaw.com is my email. Listen, uh, so I think the headline from last night for Michigan is that the Republicans in toto got 1.1 million votes, right? Uh, Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, uncommitted. And Dems, uh, their total was 767,000 votes. There's a real show-up problem here for the Democrats. Now, the uncommitted uh, option on the ballot, there was a campaign, an effort. The people behind it, a protest vote against Joe Biden, uh, pushed that. We're hoping to get uh, 10,000 votes. I think they were downplaying those expectations. Came in with 101,000 and and rising. Again, more than 95% of precincts are reporting, but it's likely to still go up by a few by uh, the end of the day. Now, uh, that's the headline. Now, the I think that's my headline, right? That's why you listen to this, this program. You get the straight scoop. I think that that matters a hell of a lot more than a conversation about, for example, uh, did Nikki, oh boy, Nikki Haley, she kind of still, she's still hanging in there. Nikki Haley still, this It's absurd. Haley's numbers are dwindling. Okay, Iowa, 19.1%, losing to Trump at 51%, okay? But that was, you know, she had other people in the the race, right? DeSantis and Vivek. New Hampshire uh, was tighter, right? But that was an open primary bunch of Dems and independents voting, 43.2%, losing to Trump's 54%. And then after New Hampshire, Haley, you know, claims, you know, that, you know, she gave that speech. You remember, she goes, a poli- the elites want her out, but she's going to get a higher share of the vote in each of the following states. And she made that case for herself. Nevada. Hey, listen, Haley lost Nevada to none of the above. Okay. That's, that's how poorly Haley performed in, in Nevada. They're in her home state. South Carolina, 39.5% losing uh, by 20 points to Trump at 59. And Michigan, 26% losing to Trump's 68%. So put another way, forget Nikki Haley. Nick, uh, Trump goes from 51%, okay, in Iowa to 54% in New Hampshire to 63% in Nevada in the primary that didn't count. South Carolina goes to 59% and now is up to 68.1% in Michigan. I don't, any pundit that you listen to that on TV or wherever tries to tell you that, no, well, you know, Trump's got a problem and he's got an electability problem. If that same pundit uh, would actually take a moment and look at these numbers and then look at the show up on the Republican side, I mean, they, they, they have, there's no narrative here that can be spun credibly that Haley has any kind of chance or she's a meaningful force in the GOP primary. So that's, you know, all I'm going to say about that.
200, no, 1,215 delegates needed. Trump's at 122, Haley at 24. Robbie, is that updated? Is that our t- as of today following this little bump? The four, the four and 12, Nikki Haley and um, and uh, Trump delegates. So, yeah, so it's, they got a little bump. There's two days later, uh, excuse me, March 2nd, there will be, so in three days, there's going to be uh, another another round of delegates. Um, so that's going to be 125 delegates. That's really the big, that's the big primary that matters. It is a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a convention type, type debate. It's a, uh, excuse me, a primary. And, um, and so, uh, March 2nd, excuse me, that's 39 delegates in Michigan and then Idaho 32, Missouri 54. So March 2nd is a big day is my point. All right. Now, what is what are the Democrats saying? Democrats are saying that Biden is in trouble. They are sounding the alarm. Yesterday, talking to Real Clear Politics co-founder Tom Bevan, a guy named yes Bernie Porn. That is not a sub subgenre of Democratic uh, pornography. No, that's Bernie Porn of Epic MRA polling in Lansing, Michigan. He says that this 10% protest vote against Joe Biden is a problemo. And uh, there's about 70,000, I think, uh, Arab voters roughly that uh, could participate and uh, are expected to participate. And not all of them are going to be participating in the Democratic primary. So I'm guessing it is going to be uh, probably in the in the five seven percent range, but it could be as high as ten. If it's higher than ten, if in fact uh, uh, a larger number than we expect, say uncommitted, that means that some of those above and beyond the Arab vote uh, will have been uh, persuaded to vote uncommitted, and that can be a problem in the general election. Well, that's that was yesterday before the uh, tallies came in. It came in at uncommitted came in not at ten percent. Not at 10,000 only as they expected or as they wanted, so they claim. It came out at 101,000 votes, which is roughly 13 and change percent of the vote. So significantly higher than 10% than the threshold set here by this particular uh, Democratic pollster. So, you know, now what is, let's see here, what's, what are the grandees of the Democratic Party saying about this? Yesterday morning on CNN with Jim Acosta, James Carville, the raging Cajun, the brain trust of Slick Willie, he comes on, he says, we got to take the Gaza block more seriously. I think it's a lot deeper than just progressive advocates or young people or college campuses. Uh I hope the president can get some kind of ceasefire and take this off the front burner because, frankly, it, it, it's damaged politically. It's pretty substantial. And if we get to Chicago at the convention and this thing is still going on, I don't want to think about what's going to happen there. <laughs> you got to You got The Democratic Party has to cater to the Hamastistas, right? If they don't get the Ham- Hamasophiles on board, they're, they're going to have a real problem, or so says... So says Carvel. It's astonishing. Their answer to this is to cave. I think it will be. I think this is absolutely going to happen. It's a real conundrum. 
This is what happens when you dedicate your party, when you absolutely pursue as a party platform the quote-unquote diversity, quote-unquote equity, inclusion. When you cater to the fringe lunatics out there, then you end up becoming beholden to them, and it's going to bite you in the A money money. All right, speaking of that, Fonnie Willis is in deep doo-doo. Back after this, Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. So Trump's third act is shaping up nicely, according to Scott Adams. I'm going to get to funny in a moment because it all it all connects, right? It all connects. For example, speaking of Fonnie Willis, and we'll get to what happened in court yesterday, I've got the exact precise moment where it all came undone. Would you not agree with me? Would you not agree with me now that a majority of Americans, uh, you know, think that uh, there is lawfare being exercised against Donald Trump, that Democrats are using the courts, the, the Department of Justice to go after him? I mean, we've got the data. There's a greater than a majority of Americans believe that the Democrats are using the legal system to unfairly target Trump. Now, a majority of Americans now, I uh, believe also when you look at it and you include, you know, social media manipulation, media manipulation, you throw in everything. They believe that the 2020 election was rigged. And I'm one of them. You know, in the immediate aftermath of the election, I I was not on the train of um, of election uh, criticism because I'll tell you, it's mad as hell that Trump didn't stay focused and got a little bit wild and squirrely, and I was really pissed at him for his lack of discipline. And I, this is an unpopular position with many of you, and I understand it. But but you know, if you rewind the clock four years ago, Trump was getting weird. And yes, I get it. If any one of us had the kind of insane, um, I don't know, persecution targeted at us, uh, aimed at us the way Trump did, we might also get a little weird. Fair enough. But he got weird. He tweeted things you shouldn't tweet. The wheels started coming off the um, the bus. But now I'll say majority of Americans know he's done better on the border. Majority of Americans know that, you know, and this is, this by the way, it's a great tweet from Scott Adams yesterday. The Breitbart, uh, excuse me, the uh, Dilbert creator. Yeah, majority of Americans starting to realize that that you know there's intel that was invented about the Russia collusion thing. The Biden corruption story has a lot more legs today than it did, you know, than it did two years ago. I'll tell you that. Who really gives a crap about by the way, climate? He said climate alarmism is looking more like a hoax. Who really cares about the environment? I mean, global warming, climate change. <laughs> yeah, folks, I think you know I'm a car guy. All right, I, I love cars. And 
I, I was just, I get these emails from Sotheby's and different people that are always selling kind of cool, interesting, older cars. And there was, it wasn't that, it was like a few years old, but a specialty niche Porsche that was for sale. It was beautiful, it was green, and I, I clicked on it. I went to look at the different pictures and I wasn't going to buy it. I wasn't going to buy it. I was just going to, I was just looking, okay? I was looking. And I'm clicking through the photos. And, you know, these Porsches, you can build them, you order them, you know, from, from, you know, customized. And there's like on the door sill, you can, you can put your name, all right? Or you can put, you can put something, whatever. You can put your company name or a nickname. So instead of saying Porsche, it would say, what's right show, for example. Well, on this highly specialized car, somebody had written on there, Greta would hate this. <laughs> Referring to the, you know, the gnome, uh, the Scandinavian gnome that is, uh, is berating everybody about the environment, who was revered when she first came out, was, was of course scowling at Trump at the UN. Remember Greta? Well, I mean, she's been reduced to a to a, a joke, right? Nobody takes her seriously, and, and nobody fawns over what she has to say anymore. In Europe, the the, the farmers, the, you know, the working classes of Europe are revolting against their leftist overlords over all the so called climate restrictions. The, the it's the word is out, even among Europeans, for Pete's sake. J sixth, I don't know. There was a congressman yesterday that came out and said he's looking at the videos, not all of which have been released yet. My gosh, I don't understand why not. Of, And he saw agents literally in the video, and this is uncorroborated, it's one guy saying this, that he saw agents going into a room dressed in law enforcement gear, coming out wearing Trump hats and Trump gear. And, you know, I mean, I mean the thing is beginning to stink all of it. And I'm not even, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I am, I'm probably the furthest thing from it. And, and I am starting to open my eyes to all of this. So I'm just saying Trump's success in large part in November will, will depend on the extent to which America, not every American, but enough Americans to make a difference, wake up and realize that everything that Team Biden, the media and whatnot told them is, is, is garbage, is a stinking pile of doo-doo. And the only thing that's nice is that what they're being told matches in form and substance, when I call it doo-doo, to how the country has turned, what the country has turned into in the last four years. You think any person out there, reasonable person, okay, believes that Biden's mentally capable to do the job? I mean, it's, I mean, it's a real question. Because I'm, I'm having a gay old time over here watching Dems gaslight themselves into believing, or I guess, <laughs> yeah, believing, or at least gaslight themselves into all agreeing publicly to confirm that Biden still got, you know, everything he needs in order to be president. It's hilarious. It's a mass psychosis event. And I, I can't tell you how many conversations I have with Democrats that start something like this. I say, okay, all right, now, now be honest with me here. Just among us girls, 
excuses, Biden. Biden's not all there, is he? Oh, no, yeah, no, Sam, no. I think, you know, people, I know people close to him and they all say he is, he just has his moments, but, you know, and I go, I go I'm not going to out you on my show. I'm not, you, you know me, I don't, I don't do that. So be honest, level with me, honest, come on, it's me. It's, it's your friend, Sam. Common sense. Oh, no, 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 Biden's fine. Now, I know what's up. They're hostages of the regime. They can't, they can't admit that Biden doesn't have it. The whole house of cards falls apart. Because if he doesn't have it now, did he have it a year ago? Can you imagine what a, I mean, the, the disaster cluster mess that would result from that admission, it would just unravel, like pulling one little thread out and the entire, entire garment just dissolves into a, you know, into a, into a, a, a puddle of, 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 of threads. So this is, um, you know, this is, that's the problem. And I think this explains, you can say, of course, oh, it's, you know, we gotta be careful. Like what did, what did the Raging Cajuns say? James Carville, well, we really have to worry about what the, you know, the, that young Arab progressives in the Democratic Party, this Gaza thing, if we don't get a ceasefire, it's gonna be a real problem come the, come the convention. And I think James Carville's right in the sense, narrow sense that the Democratic convention folks Get your popcorn out because if uh, Israelis are still kicking ass and bombs are still dropping on Gaza come Chicago, um, I suggest that um, if you really want to see a real riot, not the fake riot January 6th, real riot, wait till the anarchists, wait the guys like the young airman that self-emulated himself, burned himself to a crispy crisp in front of the Israeli embassy. Wait till those freaks show up in Chicago. You, it's gonna be epic, dem on dem violence. And these are people that don't, you know, bat an eye about violence. The, the violence to them is, you know, this is Antifa. These are, these are the anarchists. These are the these crazy people. And like, like the author yesterday, I shared the New York author is writing a book about Palestine and he's, he's complaining, we can't, we can't, we're not supposed to hijack airplanes. We're not supposed, we, we're not allowed to, we're not allowed to burn ourselves in front of protests. We're not, we're not allowed to be equating his very existence, his right to breathe, for example, and eat and live and enjoy the fruits of our constitution in this country, equating that to not being allowed to hijack airplanes, which I had first thought that tweet, by the way, Robbie thought, and I, checked with you i thought it was satire uh, apparently it's not so um i you know democratic party's got a problem big time now the lawfare component of this i think they've put all of their little eggies in one basket and what i'm talking about is how many people have you heard say on television something to the effect of this yeah, Trump might be doing okay now, but just wait till he gets convicted. Just wait till the real shoe drops and he ends up being convicted because then it's all going to turn around. And I listen to that and I go, yeah, but what if he wins on this stuff? What if these cases all blow up one by one and disintegrate? 
And that's precisely why I need to talk to you about what occurred yesterday. Terrence Bradley, former law partner of Fonnie Willis's boyfriend, prosecutor who was paid what, $650,000, $750,000 of taxpayer money in Fulton County to investigate Donaldus Maximus. And, uh, and then what? <laughs> well, it, it's not perjury time. Just wait. Just wait, folks. I have the exact moment when Fanny's ass became grass. Sam Rajovsky, News Talking 40, KXNT. <laughs> the What's Right Show will be back after this. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT, The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. I'm just getting some uh, news right now that an appeals court in New York has approved a partial stay for Trump. Uh, so this is on the $464 million fraud civil claim against him and the Trump org. Uh, as I understand it, and I'll have to, folks, sorry, I'm going to have to read this. Uh, when I have a moment, but as I understand it, it it prevents, uh, it stays the uh, the portion of the judgment that would, um, I guess, that would prohibit the defendants, meaning Trump and his sons and other people there from serving as officers or directors. Okay, so uh, so they would still be able to control their company. Um, the stay, uh, let's see, the interim stay is denied as to the enforcement of monetary judgment and the installation of an independent director of compliance. So it still has, they're still allowing an independent director of compliance to be assigned. The minder, the federal judge who knows nothing about real estate is a complete moron from what I've read, and um, but who's there to mind the store and make sure nothing happens. And then of course, the crushing money judgment which, of course, um, uh, so, you know, here, you know, yeah, so there's there's a second request for stay arguing for a $100 million bond as they post the appeal. That's still being reviewed. So I, I'll get all this to you uh, once I thoroughly review it. Now, yesterday, as this show is going on, there is a uh, last witness down in Fulton County. Fulton County, this, what, Terrence Bradley, this dumb son of a gun. Boy, this guy is so stupid, he couldn't chew gum and fart at the same time. And he was a former law partner of uh, the boyfriend of Fonnie Willis. The prosecutor is out there getting Trump on the RICO charges, the interfering in elections, trying to steal the election down in, uh, down in Georgia. And she's... You know, she ends up paying all this money to this private attorney, Nathan Wade, who's, you know, who, who, who gets, you know, is, is not hired as an employee. His firm, basically, he and his firm are paid directly an hourly rate by the county, which in and of itself is not improper. However, it turned out that what? That the two of them were stupid. Okay, they were together. They were having a relationship. They were going on luxury vacations. So she is giving money. She is paying money, taxpayer funds, a lot of money to this guy that she's dating to pursue Donald Trump and all of his fellow co-defendants. And then they're living high off the hog on the money. 
and there's a conflict there. There's a conflict of interest. There's also a due process problem because um, it's a well, simply put, the attorney general has now a vested interest in dragging out the prosecution and making it as complex as possible because she's financially benefiting from it, right? So that is a not just not just a conflict, but creates a due process problem for Trump. So I'm I'm just look, I'm just saying I'm laying the lay, lay of land. So what matters is that when all this came to light, Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade swore up and down to the court under oath that they were not stupid as of the time that that relationship was formed, that he was business relation, that he was hired on the case, and only then was there, I don't know, it got pretty specific, penetrative activity, okay? Which, by the way, I'm sorry, if you look at Fonnie Willis, it's just the... Man, it would have to, even on a desert island, there's no way. So, at any rate, all right, <laughs> right? Why are you why are you laughing at me, Robbie? Would you, you wouldn't touch her with a ten foot pole? Jeez. All right, so if so, she lied under oath, right? It's no longer about sex. It's no longer about love. It's no longer about all the issues matter. She is a liar. And she's a perjurer. Now, here was the moment that, and and remember, this was all happening yesterday as we were on air, so he didn't have an opportunity to play. But here's here was the moment Terrence Bradley kind of got caught. This Trump's lawyer is asking him questions about this. Presents him. Uh, this is uh, uh, Steve Sadow, who's uh, Trump's lawyer, and um, Sadow brings out two pages of text message between uh, this witness, Terrence Bradley, and Ashley Merchant, who is a lawyer for one of Trump's co-defendants, Mike Roman. Here is how it all went down. It was two pages of text messages between you and Ms. Merchant, correct? Correct. Now, the first page starts off by saying, Ms. Merchant, like, just date, don't hire him. Do you think it started before she hired him? You see that? Yes, I see see it. Okay. Did you hear it? Here's an enhanced version of what he says. Terrence Bradley, the witness, says under his breath. Here's the same clip. Now, telling you folks, turn your radios up a little bit once it starts playing, because you're going to want to hear the moment that he gets caught with his (laughs) pantaloons down. He was trying to cover for his friends. He was trying to cover for his political allies. He was willing to get himself, you know, into all sorts of legal trouble, but he was claiming it was attorney-client privilege. He did not want to testify. And the judge ordered all of that. Nope, nope, you got to testify. No attorney-client privilege. Here is the enhanced version of what went down it was two pages of text messages between you and miss merchant correct correct right. now the first page starts off by saying miss merchant like just date don't hire him do you think it started before she hired him you see that right. 
there it was. He goes under his breath. He goes, dang. Yes, yes, it does. I see that. That was the moment. In fact, I'll tell you, folks, that is the moment that the whole, I think, moving from today forward, that will be the moment that the whole Fulton County, Georgia case against Donald J. Trump will, when we look back at this, that's the moment where it all fell apart. And Trump's lawyer just went in and surgically got that moment. This is a Perry Mason spectacular. Boy, do I like good, you know, real cases like this going on. This is what makes being a lawyer so great. But let me tell you, this kind of abusive prosecution doesn't happen to people just like Trump. And one of the most important things, I keep saying this, of the next president of the United States, hopefully Donald Trump, is to clean up this Justice Department top to bottom. Let's talk about that. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840, The What's Right Show will continue after this. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, all right. I'm here. Don't panic. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Greetings, friends. Welcome to The What's Right Show. Uh, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. So um, I always talk about this thing called prosecutorial discretion. And, you know, it's, a, it's, it's okay, what does it mean? Well, it means that prosecutors get to choose whom they prosecute and when. There's a, you know, most crimes have a statute of limitations, so they... You know, you have a window in which to prosecute somebody for a crime, but you plenty of times can decide not to prosecute somebody. And it very much depends on what? It can depend on favor. It can depend on prejudice. It can depend on party affiliation. And when it comes to the prosecutions, various prosecutions of Donald Trump, I've always said that you know, that uh, you take anyone who has been in business for as long as Trump has, right? The man's in his 70s. Uh, he has been business active in this country since, what, his 20s? Uh, you go, you, you, have a, you have a track record there. If you, if you can devote virtually limitless resources and do a deep dive... I'm actually surprised that all they found on Trump is what has been charged so far. I'm actually surprised, and I've, I've told you this before, I, th- I thought with the level of, of animus directed at Trump by the Justice Department, certainly Biden uh, directing a raid on Mar-a-Lago of his primary chief political opponent – We'll call him, I mean, I don't want to say shadow president, but you get the idea, right? Potentially the next president, the president in waiting, the presumed Republican frontrunner, and Biden decides to <laughs> direct his DOJ, and, and they're all, you know, the raid on Mark. Oh, I didn't know. I had no idea. Does anybody buy that? 
Do you buy that? Do you think that that's even possible? So the discretion, right, the prosecutorial discretion, a guy like Merrick Garland can decide who he prosecutes. A guy, uh, excuse me, a woman, sort of, like Fonnie Willis, um, you know, she can decide who she prosecutes. Kamala Harris can decide who she prosecutes. And, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, you know, Kamala Harris was, uh, if you'll recall, uh, Attorney General of California before she became uh, briefly Senator from California and then later Vice President. There's, there are lots of examples of stuff she didn't investigate when she was in office. Remember when she didn't investigate Herbalife? Herbalife is, by the way, Herbalife just is imploding now and is very obvious that it was a, a Ponzi scheme from the beginning. Activist investor uh, Bill Ackman's gone after it and um, and he, he shorted the company is going to make a ton of money. But he's, yes, but you know, Kamala Harris had everybody on her staff calling to investigate Herbalife for criminal behavior when she was Attorney General of California. Guess what? She didn't do it. Why? Because Dougie Emhoff, her, uh, what is he, the second second lady man? Is that what he is? Uh, second man uh, worked for the law firm that represented Herbalife. Must be nice. You're, you know, we hired the law firm that has connections to the chief law enforcement officer of the state that would be investigating you. There was a 2015 memo. I'm just telling you, it's all documented. Addressing then Attorney General Harris, her staff suggested investigating allegations that the company was, quote, engaging in a number of tactics designed to maximize the number of distributors selling its products, which results in cash flow back to those at the top of the organizational pyramid. Have you ever, by the way, been hustled by somebody who seems to you like a pretty put-together person, right? And they say, Sam, I've had this happen to me twice. Sam, you know, I've just, I really, we should get together. I want to tell you about this exciting thing that I'm doing, friend, you know? And I go, oh, I'm very excited. I would love to get together. So they sit you down, and then they pull out the, the shiny folder, the shiny folder of, of uh, you know, and, and oh, look at this guy at Herbalife, and it shows him with his Rolls Royce and his jet. He almost looks like a Las Vegas personal injury lawyer, you know? Got the jet. <sighs> any personal injury lawyer, by the way, side note, any personal injury lawyer here in town that has a need of putting his car and his or and or his plane into his advertising. I think is a complete clown. And I say that as an injury lawyer who has nice cars. I, I'm not jealous of it. I just think it's gauche. So anyway, I digress. So you, they open the shiny books. Sam, you, you too could be this person. I'm like, the person telling me this just pulled up in a Camry. I'm going, well, I, thank you. But I, I remember, I remember I was in the Czech Republic. I don't know why I'm talking about Herbalife, but I was in the Czech Republic and I was, man, I must've been 18. And I met some people, nice couple. They were great people, and they was, you know, it was, it was and and they said, oh, "We got to, we got let's let's go, let's go meet up and have have lunch sometime." Yeah, absolutely. So they sit me down, and they pull out the Herbalife folders, and it, you know, that's how far it's global, right? It, it's it's everywhere. Pull out the Herbalife folders, and I started laughing, cause you know, 
I was like, that's not for me. 18 years old, and I knew that I should start laughing at it. So prosecutorial discretion, and of course, this now, every prosecutor in the country that's woke, that's Democrat, that's leftist, that's run on platforms like Letitia James did and Fonnie Wills of getting Trump are doing just that. My guess is great on one hand, these are politicians that are fulfilling their campaign promises, but the problem is that they are also chief law enforcement officers and they have a ethical and legal uh, duty, right, to uh, apply the law equally. So with that said, right, you know, this John Yu got into this. Yu is a, uh, a brilliant constitutional scholar, um, and he uh, is he still Robbie? Is he still dean of, of, of is he is he at Berkeley? Does he teach at Berkeley still con law? I think I know John. You did uh, taught at Berkeley, so but he is a he's a he's a center right guy. But here's here's what here's what you said about selective prosecution, and, and it bears listening to an expert on the subject. I used to work at the Justice Department. One thing we understood is that prosecutors have enormous power in our society, and we have to restrain ourselves. We have to have the utmost integrity in choosing our cases because we could destroy someone's lives even if we don't win. And I think that's what you see in case after case is you're seeing prosecutors abuse their vast power because they're going after a man. They're not going after a crime. You know, the great Attorney General Robert Jackson, who later went on the Supreme Court, warned prosecutors throughout the country, we don't go after people. That's what happens in Soviet Russia. That's what happens in Nazi Germany. Prosecutors have to go and prosecute the crime when it's in the national interest. And so what you're seeing here is prosecutors in New York City, in New York State, in Georgia, in Washington, stitching together unprecedented readings of the law, cases that have never been brought against anyone because they just want to bring down Donald Trump. Now, yeah, so he's still... Uh con law professor, constitutional law professor at UC Berkeley, uh, and he, uh, uh, John Yu, and he said, this is absolutely spot on correct. And the question is then, right, I would ask, where is, where is this going to end up? Because I'm looking at it as a lawyer and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fair-minded guy and I, you know, I, my, um, for years, I've always really believed in the system. And I can tell you over the last four years, my, uh, my esteem of the justice system is at uh, an absolute all-time low. I have no belief in justice and fair play in this country anymore. Based solely on what has not just happened to Trump, but also what's happened to, for example, all the J6 people. Yeah, you know, there was just a case. You want to know how unfair it is. You, you want to know, let me give you an idea. There's a piece that came out yesterday in Daily Wire about a judge in California. He threw out charges against two far-right political agitators. There was a fight between right-wingers and Antifa. And he said, he basically, the reason that he gave for throwing out the charges is the federal government, the F Justice Department, Joe Biden's Justice Department, Justice Department, engaged in selective prosecution when they charged only the right-wing rioters but not any one of the far-left agitators even though they both did you know ostensibly exactly the same thing 
this kind of stuff happens all the time, right? Paul Manafort, who worked for Trump's campaign briefly in 16, what did he, he it turned out that he was working in, in Ukraine and elsewhere as an unregistered foreign agent. Boom, they got him on a FARA violation. Done, wham, bam, guy went to prison. How long has it been that everybody knows by his own admission that, that, that Hunter Biden was working for Ukraine for Burisma? My dad had nothing to do with it, of course. But that's, uh, that's like an undisputed fact. Has he been charged for a FARA violation? How long did that take? You know, it's just selective prosecution. So, um, so now what happens is what, you know, this, is this going to come back and bite the Democrats that have engaged in this stuff? John Yu says this. You've seen prosecutors acting badly. You've seen the hearings that have been going on in Georgia, for example, with Fannie Willis or Alvin Bragg in New York City, who's up next, who might be the first prosecutor ever to bring a real courtroom case against a former president who is clearly making up the law. And I don't even think he's really making up the law. I think he's actually violating the Constitution because he's trying to pretend he has the right to prosecute Donald Trump for federal campaign violations when the federal government investigated it and dropped it and chose not to bring any charges. This is something that the Supreme Court said is unconstitutional for state and city prosecutors to do. Unfortunately, if prosecutors are going to act this way, they are not just going to get Donald Trump or not, but they are breaching a wall of responsibility that has kept prosecutors contained for 200 years. What's going to happen when red state prosecutors want to go after Joe Biden or Hunter Biden exactly the same way that blue state prosecutors are right now going after Donald Trump? Bingo. And the thing is, is those of us like me who are fair minded and, you know, I think I'm fairly even keel and, and, and can see both sides of things. My sympathy toward targets of of red state of republican lawfare is is not going to be very high i'm not, not going to feel very bad for any of these people particularly not any single actor within the biden justice department that perpetrated this upon trump and even more importantly than trump on all the realtors and chiropractors and moms and grandmas that they went after in the wake of January 6th. Literally screw every one of the prosecutors that prosecuted these cases. It's them that belong in prison. Trust me, I'm so upset about this. You have no idea. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840. You're listening to the What's Right Show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Be right back, folks. Don't go anywhere. All right, uh, 2.23 here in the afternoon, Wednesday, February 28th. Sam Rajofsky, your host of the What's Right Show. You're a beacon, you're a beacon of hope in these troubled times. Speaking of which, there is a development here as of 10 minutes ago. Uh, the Supreme Court is uh, going to hear the appeal uh, that Trump has uh, Trump's lawyers have presented to them in the matter of his January sixth prosecution. This is the D.C. case before Tanya Chutkin, and um, this is a, a, a case that probably is the one that has scared me the most. Given the jurisdiction, it's in D.C. You could, um, well, you, you you could you could bring a Republican uh, on trial for being a witch. 
in Washington, D.C. and get a conviction. They'd probably burn him at the stake right then and there. So I uh, was a little worried about this, but here's exactly what's going to happen, all right? And this, is, this literally just happened. The court is going to, it's placing a hold on the case. This is not what the Department of Justice wanted. This is not what Jack Smith wanted. He wanted this case going to trial in April, May. So it's going to be on hold. Arguments will be heard by the Supreme Court from both sides. Oral arguments will be held in April, and there's a decision that will come down in June. And the question isn't some narrow issue. The entire question here is, can the case itself even continue to exist? Can it move forward against Trump? And the the issue is, of course, that uh, Donald Trump was president at the time that January 6th happened. And the question is, is, you know, it can even a, a, a Department of Justice prosecute somebody who was president at the time? Can presidential authority be, uh, be you know, be, be interfered with through the courts? Because remember, we have a separation of, of powers problem. Now, if you remember right, there has been a decision on this already that went against Trump, and I have it here, thankfully, still in my stack of stuff. And this was the uh, this is the three judge panel at the uh, Circuit Court of Appeals in D.C., where Trump's team took it first, and it, it was a, a shutdown of it. The voted against justices voted against Trump. But here's the fascinating part of this decision, and I've. I've got just a few uh, components of this, but here's here's one of the, the most perplexing things. As they said, of course Trump can be sued. He's private citizen Trump. He's not president anymore. And I know one of the things that the Department of Justice is going to do, they're going to argue in front of the Supreme Court and say, well, he is a private citizen, just like the Court of Appeals said. He's a private citizen. He can he can be he can not only be sued, he can also be prosecuted. And um, that's problematic because if he was president at the time, then any president would always fear getting prosecuted by an opposing administration coming in after him or her. President leaving office would go, well, I wonder if my successor, who is not exactly – who is my political adversary, would love to destroy me. I'm only in for one term. I could come back in four years and challenge my opponent, come back and just like Trump is doing and 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 become, you know, an oust this incoming president and what he would have no better way to get rid of that, that outgoing president than to immediately on day one order his Department of Justice to find something to go after. I'll be honest, folks, I would be shocked if this case doesn't die at the Supreme Court. So let me say this again. I would be shocked if the Supreme Court sides with Jack Smith, Merrick Garland, Joe Biden, because it would absolutely gut the presidency. Now, not all of the justices are, you know, Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito. You know, there's some squishes, but this would be such a radical reorganization of uh, of the way this country has run. And I don't think this court, 
I don't think that this court really intends to remake America. This is more of a business as usual court. And and that's, again, this is the problem with the Department of Justice using its vast powers to go after Trump. They've overshot the, you know, the shot. The Court of Appeals said the president, of course, also has a duty under the take care clause to faithfully enforce the laws. This duty encompasses following the legal procedures for determining election results, blah, blah, blah. Former President Trump's alleged conduct conflicts with his constitutional mandate to enforce the laws governing the process of electing the new president. Let's say the Supreme Court rules against Trump. What stops the next Republican president from prosecuting people like Biden and others, but Biden in particular, going after Biden for not, let's say, using his executive power to enforce existing immigration law? Think about that. It opens up an unimaginable can of worms. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840, KXNT, back after this, folks. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will return. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Well, folks, the uh, speaking of Biden's willful, willful disregard for the laws of the land and prosecuting and protecting our border, uh, well, we've got a problem, right? Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome back to the What's Right Show. Well, prosecuting the folks that are coming into the uh, country illegally and, and, and deporting them, right? We're not, we're just not doing it. You know, Lakin Riley, the uh, nursing student who was brutally murdered by an illegal immigrant. This guy's in the country. Apparently, he was apprehended at some point, released. The Department of Homeland Security did nothing to expel him from the country. He's from Venezuela. He's 26 years old. And he snuffed out a life. And it did not need to happen, folks. It did not need to happen. There are reports now that he completely disfigured her head. He smashed her head in with a rock. Imagine, I'm trying to put myself uh, in just position. Imagine I'm her dad. This happened to one of my daughters. I would want to rip Joe Biden to pieces. I would. No two ways about it. By the way, it happened in Athens, and a guy, Kelly Gertz there, a Democrat mayor, uh, is a you know, big uh, open border uh, and sanctuary city guy. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I got I to gotta play, um, I've, I've just, just got to play some of this. He's blaming it on Trump. He's taking all of this in and blaming it on Trump. Uh, there's a fair amount of projection here. So th- this is this was today press conference today absolutely blows my mind. Well, 2019 was not that long ago. You might remember the dynamic we were living in in the late teens in this country, where you had the president of the United States speaking in the most vile terms 
about people who were foreign-born. And you had that notion metastasizing in places like Charlottesville. Yeah, he was, how did you know? How do people like this get elected? It's an it, it's, oh, it's Trump's rhetoric that caused this. Really? No, you. It's you letting illegals into the country, laying out the welcome mat for them, saying, "Well, we're a sanctuary city. Come here, and we'll protect you from from Trump and his goons." Then you run against Trump, you run a corpse, aka Joe Biden against Trump, and then and and then, you know, on the basis of Trump being a racist, hating Mexicans and whatnot. And then this happens. I've received many calls, many queries from the press in recent days about this notion of a sanctuary city. And so I want to lay some things to rest here today. This term sanctuary city doesn't have a sole legal or procedural definition. You can look in Georgia statute, you can look in contractual language, and you can find out exactly what it means to be an SEC institution. Sanctuary city doesn't track with either of those. That term means different things to different people depending on the context of the discussion. Oh. Uh, Many many of the elements. Many of the elements. Liar. 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 We are here to listen. Liar. You're a liar. We are here to listen. Liar. There'll be time for questions. Many of the aspects that are ascribed to sanctuary cities we know what sanctuary are things means. that are disallowed by Georgia law. And we contribute a document every year to the Georgia Department of Audits indicating that we do not correspond to these definitions under state law. Yes, you do. And no policies have been adopted Please by the mayor and commission that have created sanctuary government. city status Sir. in Athens. You need to resign. One protocol resign that sometimes now. arises. Resign. resign now. You One protocol. This to happen. I hope this guy is literally dropping a deuce in his pants. I'm telling you, I hope, and I, I hate to be this vulgar, you can hear that anger. Let me ask you something. Uh, this used to be cute, right? The sanctuary city thing. It was cute. You know, it was like they said, oh, we're going to sanctuary cities. Oh, we do Trump. You know, Trump. Trump. They, well, Trump said they don't send us all their best people. And that got turned around and Trump being a racist. Okay. Now, you and I, we knew, of course, what that, you know, really meant that Trump was right. That, you know, I, some of these countries, Venezuela, for example, murder is down 22% in the country. Why do you think that is? I think they're taking all of their worst people and giving them a one-way ticket. This is not an unusual thing, right? There are states, cities, jurisdictions that send their homeless people to other jurisdictions. Hey, here's a one-way ticket. Go to Hawaii. Enjoy a nice permanent vacation on us. Well, these countries are doing it too. And Democrats who are you know, one part very naive and think that, you know, we need to, you know, diversify America and, 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 you know, and make things a little less white. Biden said that literally those words, um, you know, that's one component of it. But the other more sinister component is obviously looking at this as a, as a change mechanism, creating conflict and crisis and benefiting from it. You think there's, a uh, possibility that a guy like uh, I don't know. Let's let's try George Soros is one. But I've mentioned him. Um, what about what about Amazon? 
I think about this a lot. A- Amazon, um, if we're, if we're, yeah, Jeff Bezos supports a lot of Democrats. Why? Well, I could be, folks, I could be a little conspiratorial here and think for a moment that perhaps, just maybe, um, just maybe, a company like Amazon benefits when there is widespread shoplifting and Walgreens has to shut down a ton of stores. When crime in cities makes it so that people do not want to leave their homes and would rather go and do their shopping online. But you don't have to be a like you don't have to be a Machiavellian genius to put, you know, one and one together and go, yeah. I can understand why there are certain people in business and the investors behind them that support these radical, liberal, crazy people because they understand that this is, in some, a good thing for their investments, and they're making billions of dollars off of this. Meanwhile, people are dying. Cities are choking. The world's getting destructed, but you know Jeff Bezos doesn't care. He's got a giant yacht. He can live wherever he wants. He can move to, he can be in a you know the Côte d'Azur in France. Doesn't matter. We could have, if we wanted to, have robust legal immigration and set a standard for attracting the best people to come over here. But that's not what the left wants. They want this. They don't want that. They want this. And by the way, they're aided by a number of these big business Republicans. The well, I'll call them the. Um, you know, they've always been for a lot of illegal immigration because it depresses wages, drives down wages, and that's good for big big business. Certainly not good for labor. Every one of you blue collar Democrats out there that are uh, that are part of a union ought to be disgusted, disgusted by this Democratic Party that has stabbed you in the back. They are stealing your and your kids' futures. Trust me on this. And they're doing it all in the guise of what? Just, uh, I guess, diversifying the country. Bill Clinton was talking about this all the way back in 1995. Here's a little flashback just for kicks. All Americans not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. The jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public service they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. That's why our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more, by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before, by cracking down on illegal hiring, by barring welfare benefits to illegal aliens. In the budget I will present to you, we will try to do more to speed the deportation of illegal aliens who are arrested for crimes. We are a nation of immigrants, but we are also a nation of laws. It is wrong and ultimately self-defeating for a nation of immigrants to permit the kind of abuse of our immigration laws we have seen in recent years, and we must do more to stop it. Yes, yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you, <laughs> Slick Willie almost sounds like a, a Republican. <laughs> you want to know, okay, that was Bill Clinton, 1995, State of the Union, okay? You want to hear what now Democrats are saying about, about immigration? You want to hear? Because it's, 
Kamala Harris, this was February of last year, about a year ago, at a press conference saying uh, this as the, well, listen, she's really trying to nail down the root cause of illegal immigration, and, and here you go. The second announcement I am pleased to make today is the launch of a new phase of our public-private partnership, which we have named Central America Forward. This includes a new series of U.S. government commitments to complement and support the investments from the private sector. Specifically, one, we will facilitate infrastructure projects in the northern area of Central America. For example, we will help to identify clean energy projects, something that we're excited about around the world, but in this particular region where we know we can have great impact. Yeah, so the solution to the border problem, according to the border czar Kamala Harris, heartbeat away from the presidency, is to give uh, your tax dollar, dollar, you know, dollars, send them, you know, so that people in Honduras can buy solar panels. <laughs> Dear goodness, we are governed by morons. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Be right back. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will continue in a moment. Hi, welcome back. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. On a lighter note, did you see this news from Tesla? Tesla and SpaceX, which is the satellite space exploration company uh, that is led by Elon Musk are cooperating on co-designing a new car. This is going to be a sports car. It's not going to be like the big truck. It's yes, most certainly it's an electric car and it is very fast. It is looking to come in at just around a one second, one second, zero to 60 time. Now, if you're not a car person or don't know what that means, let me just say, um, I think what was the Ferrari Enzo that came out, oh my gosh, 20 years ago now? Supercar, right? It was the wow car 20 years ago. That was, I think, a three and a half second car. And that was revolutionary. Uh, most gas-powered, really fast cars clock in at about three seconds now. And, you know, my wife drives a monster of a uh, large Tesla, the Model X, which is sort of the minivan egg-looking thing. It's got the gullwing doors that open. It's, it's cool, right? And she's got the fast version. I think hers is 2.5 seconds. So the, the, the crazy thing is her mom car is faster than, than anything I have. And I have got some, I've got some fast cars. So I'm just pointing at one second, zero to 60. That's absolutely wild. Well, I'm getting to that, Robbie. I'm getting to that. That's just as that news is coming out of Tesla coming out with this revolutionary car, Apple, after 10 years of, you know, kind of doinking around, I think I'm going to build it. We think we're going to build a car, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, an afterthought. I mean, they invested billions into a car unit, decided to throw in the towel. This is huge news. 
I can't think of the last time Apple has completely reversed course on a big product that they've publicly spoken about. And, I, you know, I'll tell you about the Apple thing, by the way. They were intending – it's interesting. Two things. They were intending, obviously, to be an electric car. Yes, obviously. Check that box. The other part of it is they were planning on it being fully autonomous. And Apple – let me just say this about Apple. Do you know how much money they have? Forget their worth. Forget what the company's worth, right? It's very, very – uh, valuable company, one of the most valuable companies in the world, if not the most valuable company. That's not what I'm getting at. Do you know what – they have $187 billion cash on hand. That's like money in the bank that they can you know, draw on if needed. That is – I don't know how much God has as far as money, but I'm guessing it's, it could be literally more money than God. And so – they presumably, if they felt it was achievable to create that self-driving car and, and make something, and they and they thought it would be uh, that that it would you know certainly be profitable, they would do it. They would they they could throw twenty billion at something and not even blink an eye. But they decided to back away from it. See what Elon Musk is doing is special. He's really a remarkable guy. And by the way, everybody loved him. The media loved him. He was darling. Everybody was great until he began making sense politically, and then everybody turns on him. You know, the, the electric thing is tough. You know, Audi just announced a lot of car news this week, and I'm sorry. No, we've talked a lot about cars today. I'm, it's just, it's a little bit of a hobby of mine. So Audi, you know, the German car manufacturer, as part of the Volkswagen Group, they announced that they were going to be uh, pushing back their all their their deadline, sort of the self-imposed deadline for all electric cars. They're pushing it back. Mercedes has announced the same. Mercedes said we're going to get rid of the V12 engine. They still make it because it's a damn good engine and there's demand for it. So, I okay. There's the there's the electric component. The electric cars are tough to build, and you know what the the difference between what Elon Musk has done and what what you know all the others have is that that Musk built his charging station network and that is tremendously valuable both um as a perk to drivers but also uh, as as a as a data gathering operation and you know the other part of this is that 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 Tesla is is mapping out every road and they've got a, such a head start on every one of these Tesla cars has what six cameras i believe that's the number six cameras that surround the car uh, could be four but it's it's six i think and the the cameras are on always and when your car goes back home and docks okay it sends a file to the tesla computers somewhere in you know in the world of everything that those cameras saw everything that they saw and They've mapped every curb, every road, every Tesla that's moving on every highway, on every street, uh, you know, in your neighborhood, in my neighborhood, is picking up all this data and is, and is mapping everything. That is the only way we're going to achieve self-driving cars because it's not – GPS is not precise enough, you know, to, to, to operate a car – totally autonomously. You need to have spatial awareness of, you know, ground level, 
what does the street actually look like in real time, right? <laughs> For example, Las Vegas, you know, drive down a street one day and the next day it's covered in traffic cones. So, you, you know, it needs, it needs real-time data. And Tesla is so far ahead that Apple just decided, yeah, we're not going to do this. We are out. And you still have people calling, you know, calling Musk a charlatan. And I stand behind the other part of this. He's not stupid what he's done with X, with Twitter. He, he's, he's doing something right. And they're all after him. They're all fighting him. They're all aggressively piling on him. And, uh, you know... I mean, I think Tesla, what is it, Tesla and Ford are the only two car manufacturers in the U.S. that haven't gone bankrupt, right, Robbie? I mean, just, it, let's, let's, let's give, let's give, uh, let's give Musk some credit here, all right? The Howard Hughes of our time, but, it, but bigger than that, even bigger than Howard Hughes. Gosh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed and um, love Apple. Uh, love their products. Miss Steve Jobs, obviously. I think the clowns over there now do lack any kind of you know vision or or uh, you know imagination. So it's just a bunch of technocrats since waiting for some great person to come in and take it again to the next level. And those those are those are people you know one in one in a hundred million to be perfectly blunt. All right, I don't know. We're we're running out of time. It's been a it's been a uh, it's been another day. Wonderful. Well, I'll keep you up to date on all this Trump stuff. There seems to be a lot of developments with these cases. So in New York, a stay on him being a, a, an officer of the company, okay? Uh, but there still has to pay the money, and the Supreme Court taking up his presidential immunity, hearing arguments in April, making a decision in June. Not great news for the Biden DOJ. I say the glass is half full, folks. We live to see another day. I'll see you here back tomorrow at 1. Have a great one, folks. Bye.